0: Right now, if you will, download our message notes off of any of the media outlets and in-house, grab yours. We're going into a new series today. We're talking about uh, Ready, Set, Go. That's our series. Uh, you know, we're in a series, our, our theme of the year is uh, faith in action. And we've been looking at the first couple of chapters of Acts and we've been asking the question, how do we get in position to go live our lives for Jesus, to live on point, to live on purpose and fulfill the purpose that God has for us. And by the way, can I just tell everyone in the room and everyone online, yes, your life has purpose. Yes, you have a meaning. And today we're gonna talk about that. Mark Twain uh, said this, said, the two greatest days of your life are these. Number one, the day you were born. Number two, the day you find out why. And today, my goal is, our our heart is to help you understand the why behind why you were born. God's got a plan, and God's got a purpose for you. Our series is called, for the next few weeks, as we go through Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, is we're going to be, we're going to title it, Ready, Set, Go. And my challenge for you today is for you to line up with me at the starting point of faith, And to live out the plan and purposes God has for you, but you got to get in position. You got to get ready. So you're set. And then as the Holy Spirit begins to direct your lives, you can go and fulfill the plans and the purposes God has for your life. How many, when you were growing up, played the game, ready, set, go in a race? Our youngest granddaughter is going to turn two years old next month. So she's not even two yet, but she's been watching her older cousins and she's learned all these different games. Her favorite games have to do with running. And we love it when she's running because it's hilarious. Because when she runs, she tells us what she's doing. So while she's running, she's hollering the whole time, I'm running, I'm running. And, and right now she hasn't quite learned the speed piece yet. So she high steps, and her high step goes as far as her front step. And so it's kind of like, you know, Flintstones, kind of like all in motion and you don't go very far at one time. And she's telling you at the same time, while she giggles, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running And to that. We're all like, woo, keep going. And we get behind her and run on Uh, a few weeks back. She, we were in the kitchen and uh, our granddaughter just kind of went and leaned up against the wall and she hollered for her nanny. Uh, She said, nanny, come here. And uh, she goes, ready, set, go. And then she giggles and high steps all the way across our kitchen over to the sink. And then she runs back. Because here's what we've learned about two-year-olds. They're not old yet. And grandparents are. And so she thinks the relay race has got to go over and over and over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And over and over. She doesn't get tired. And after, you know, 10 trips of this, I'm watching as Nani is slowly getting back to the line. Wow, well, she is, uh, by the time she was at the word go, she was already halfway across the floor. So my two-year-old learned this. We don't have as much energy as she does, and she's already learned how to cheat at the starting line. All right? I mean, that's, that's the moral of the story, right? God wants you to start a race with him. And in fact, when you live out your faith and you, you try to live for God and fulfill the purpose that God has for you, The Bible actually says it's kind of like a marathon. Paul, the apostle, in his dying letter before he died, he wrote to Timothy, a young preacher, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter four, he says, I have fought a good fight, I have run the race, I've kept the faith. And I love Paul because he was into sports, right? He says, sometimes living out your purpose for God is kind of like fighting through life. How many know what I'm talking about? When sometimes you get where you're trying to go, it feels like a battle, you gotta go through a fight. And he says the same thing in our spiritual walk, right? Sometimes it's like a battle, but it's really a race, he says, and it's not a sprint because he says, I've kept the faith. He's, he's, he's painting with his words The idea of endurance. How many know you don't have to have a lot of endurance to do a sprint? But you better have some endurance to do a marathon. Can I get a witness from somebody? You better have some endurance if you're going to run a marathon. Those of you who are baptized this morning, you know what you did? You joined the race with the rest of us who are followers of Jesus. And you said publicly before everyone that you're going to run this race that's set before you. And it's a marathon of faith. And I'm so proud of you. For the rest of you, maybe, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, maybe you're still questioning about life and the purpose of life and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Your life's like a marathon too. You just don't know where you're going yet. And we wanna help you find the purpose for the race that is set before you. And, and today that's what our goal is gonna be. But I wanna tell you this, it's gonna require something out of every one of you. It's gonna require something out of me. In fact, it's the word that the Holy Spirit is dealing with your pastor about on my personal level right now in my own spiritual walk with God. My year for 2024 that I'm wrestling with is the word discipline. And if you're going to run in a race, you've got to discipline yourself for the race that's set before you. I'm disciplined in the way I eat. I'm disciplined when I go to the gym. I'm disciplined in my faith. But I know this, God is stirring me on the inside that Whatever he's got planned for me next is going to require more discipline for tomorrow than it is for today. The next leg of my race is going to take a little bit more effort, and I'm going to have to be a little more focused. And I don't know what it is for you, but I can tell you this. Whatever your race looks like, it's going to require discipline. And so over the next several weeks in this series, Ready, Set, Go, here's what we're doing. We're going to look at the disciplines of these early Christians how they got up to the starting line of this marathon of faith at the beginning of the church and how they put these disciplines in place. So when the Holy Spirit said go, they went and produced a lifetime that honored and glorified God and fulfilled their purposes. How many of you want your life to fulfill the purposes God has for you? Then join me on the next few weeks in this series as we line up at the starting line, learn the disciplines early that it's going to pay dividends as the race goes on. Amen? So here's what we're doing today. I'm going to give you a couple of insights as we line up and get ready. Today we're going to get ready. How do we employ these disciplines in our lives and uh, to run the marathon? Here's the first one I want to share with you. I want you to write this down. You must be alert to what God is doing around you. If you're going to figure out what God's plan is for you, the purpose He has for you, if you're going to fulfill the plan, if you're going to do what, if you're going to follow Jesus, listen to me, you've got to learn to become alert to what God is doing around you. And let me just say this to you in this room and online campus, God is working all the time to sound the alarm and grab your attention. The question that must be answered today is are you listening? And are you looking around and seeing what God is doing around you? When you come to Acts chapter 2, if you were here last Sunday, you know where we're at. We're at Pentecost, 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus, 10 days after his ascension into heaven. The upper room is filled with 120 believers. They're in there praying. They're gathering strength from each other. They're in the scriptures and encouraging one another through the word of God. They're putting their faith into practice. They've just uh, put Matthias in as an apostle and they're up there in the upper room praying. It's the day of Pentecost. And all of a sudden the spirit of the Lord came and birthed the church. And it came much like what happened when he birthed the nation at Mount Sinai. There's a mighty Russian wind blowing through the room. There is this image of fire landing on each one of the disciples, they're so overcome by the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak the magnificent works of God through them, and they're speaking about God in languages they've never learned. And this is a sermon for another day, but I want you to capture this. For those of you who believe your faith is a private matter, Here are 120 disciples in an upper room keeping it all private. But when the Spirit of the Lord came and the Lord wanted to use them, he wanted them to go be a witness and a light for Jesus. And they couldn't do it hiding in an upper room. And the next thing you know, they're down in the streets and the Spirit is preaching the gospel to everyone around in their languages through these disciples. Because in the city, the city was full of Jews who had come from other countries, Because they came back to town three times a year at three different festivals and one of them was Pentecost. And there are these Jews from all over the world uh, coming back to Jerusalem, speaking many different languages. Some of them have heard rumors about Jesus. Some of them have never heard about Jesus because they're not from the area And here they're all back into town, and all of a sudden, you've got 120 of these Christians coming out of a room, out in the streets, and they're all just beside themselves. There's like this flaming fire on their heads, and they're speaking in unknown languages that they didn't know, but the people in the crowd knew it. It was their languages. And the crowd was saying, look, these are uneducated people. How do they know my language? And they all said, we hear them all saying the same thing. They're preaching the magnificent works of God. And in that moment, look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 2. They're on your message notes. It says that the crowd was, next word, astounded. How many of you believe you would have been too? It's like, what's going on around here, right? I mean, look at these people and they're in the midst of thousands and everybody's paying their attention to them. By the way, how many of you have ever been in a place where it shouldn't have happened that way, but like everyone got the center of attention, like the whole room, like something came in the room or something came over the crowd and it was like everyone's attention got pulled into one area and it was almost eerie feeling. It's like, why why did all that? Anybody ever had that happen? It's like, boom. Here are thousands of people and you got 120 speaking in other languages, but everybody in the crowd is focused on these 120 for some reason. Ding, 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 ding. All of a sudden, alarm is going off and there are two groups of people amongst the crowd. Notice them here in the Bible. Look at Acts chapter 12 or chapter 2 verse 12 again. They were astounded and they were, next word. Isn't it cool when God gets your attention and then makes you scratch your head at the same time? You ever had that happen? Okay. And they said to one another, what does this mean? But wait a minute, there's a second group here. But some sneered and said, what do they say? They're drunk on new wine. So out of the thousands who are there witnessing this happen, even in the crowd, there are two groups. And can I say this to you this morning in this room and watching online? You fit in one of these two groups today. See, what's happening is, is God is going to use this moment with these disciples speaking in tongues, wind blowing, fire on their heads to wake people up and get their attention that God is trying to say something. And the two groups is this. The first group catches on something's happening. And they ask the question that I pray every one of us would start asking on a daily basis, what does this mean? What might God be trying to say right now? How many of you believe that God still speaks and tries to get our attention? The question is, do you hear him? And are you noticing when God's trying to get your attention? Because I promise you he is. In fact, in fact, let me say it like this. Some of the things that you and I blame on coincidences is really God, the Holy Spirit, trying to get our attention. Not everything, but some things. And here's what you've got to do. You've got to be able to learn to decipher and to discern. Is God trying to get my attention? What it requires is for you to open your heart and your mind and, your, and to say whatever's going on. Okay, God, are you in this or not? Are you trying to speak to me or are you not? But it's opening yourself up because the other crowd crowd number two. They look at this and they are completely spiritual numb and they're spiritually dead. And they see the same fire on people's heads. They felt the same rushing wind. They hear the same message uh, from these Jews in their own languages about God. And it means absolutely nothing to them. And they look at them and go, wow, y'all, look at this. It's 9 a.m. These guys are already sauced back here. Man, they hit it early in Jerusalem, don't they? Why didn't they call me? The party's already started. They have no clue that the spirit of God is working. And that's us every day. I want you to know that If you're going to live out the purposes God has for you and you're going to follow God's plan for you, if you want to know that there's purpose for your life, the first discipline that we got to employ is we got to become alert to God working around us. And when God sounds the alarm, we've got to pay attention and ask the question, is this God and what's he trying to say in this moment? Sometimes it's going to be him. Sometimes it's not. But I promise you this, if you're in group B and you just blow everything off, you're not gonna hear the Spirit of the Lord try to get your attention. It's just like being at church here this morning. You know how easy it is, even as a Christian, to go spiritually into a state of slumber? Huh, come on. You can get up and read the Bible every morning. If you do the same pattern every morning, you do your 10 minutes, read your devotion, you go through a chapter, Before long, if you don't shake it up every once in a while, you'll find yourself going through the motions of it. You can go through the motions of prayer. You can come to church like here, watch baptisms, listen to music, hear a 35-minute sermon. You lose time. You never get back for the rest of your life. And you just go through the motions, man. And that's not what God wants for you. In fact, right now, you need to ask yourself the question, with these baptisms and the worship we did today and this message, what might God be saying to me? Always keeping your heart open. What might God be trying to alert me to? Where's he trying to get my attention? Don't just go through the motions because you can do that as a Christian. Look at Romans chapter 13 in your Bible. This was not written to unbelievers. It was unbelievers on the day of Pentecost, but this is written to believers. In Romans 13 says, and besides this, since you know the time, it's already the hour for you to, what's the next two words? Say them out loud. Ready to go. Wake up from sleep. Why? Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. How many know we're one day closer to Jesus coming back? We don't know when he's coming. I'm not going to preach that he's coming anytime. We don't know when. All we know this is, is every day is one day closer. We need to wake up, look around us for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, be a light for Jesus, be a witness for Jesus, live our lives on purpose for Jesus. What might God be doing today to grab your attention? You can fall asleep in church, not just from my preaching, just spiritually I'm talking about here. Every once in a while, somebody comes come up to me and say, I don't know how my baby fell asleep during your sermon. I say, I give babies their best sleep every week, right? Think about this. Y'all remember Peter, James, and John, the night Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver to Judas? Jesus is feeling the weight of going to the cross and he takes three of his closest friends and he says, go with me to the garden of Gethsemane and wait with me and pray. And Jesus goes off and he prays and he comes back three different times. And every time Jesus went off to pray and he came back expecting Peter, James and John to be praying too. But how many remember the story? What were Peter, James and John doing all three times? They're sleeping. Now, the question has to be, were they sleeping out of obstinance and rebellion because they didn't want to be there? Or is it something totally else? I I would argue it's something totally else. I, I believe they wanted to be there. I believe they loved. I mean, they just had Passover with Jesus. They just saw Jesus wash their feet. They just had Jesus take a cup of wine and say, this is like my blood and this bread is like my body. And you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And it's a different Passover than they've ever had before. And now Jesus is grieved and his heart is broken and he's heavy and Judas is gone. And Jesus, is like, I just need you to come and pray with me, guys. Would you come to the garden and pray with me? I believe Peter, James, and John, when they sat down there, I don't know if they're under a tree, under a rock, I don't know. I just know this. Somewhere in the night they got comfortable. They should have been moving around more. They got comfortable. How many's ever gotten comfortable while you're praying? How many has ever fell asleep while you're praying? My uncle used to say the best sleep he got all week was when he fell asleep praying. I never quite knew how to take that, but I thought it was pretty cool. Never forgot it. He, and, and listen, here's Peter, James, and John. They fall asleep. I don't believe it's because they didn't love the Lord or they didn't want to be there. But I want to tell you this. It got Peter's attention, I believe, that night. Because later in Peter's life, he would write two epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, he's writing to Christians. He's telling them to keep on loving, be kind, and live in self-control and, and with goodness. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he writes this, therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and you're established in the truth you now have. He's writing to believers. He says, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Here's what Peter did. I don't believe Peter ever forgot how he fell asleep on the Lord. And I believe he was always encouraging believers. Listen, I know you love the Lord. Just every once in a while, you need to shake yourself and get alert and say, I wonder what God's trying to say to me today. Freshen up your Bible study. Come to church with a fresh heart and a fresh vision. Get involved. Let the Holy Spirit begin to work. Because if you're going to run this marathon and let God use you to fulfill his purpose for your life, You've got to be alert that God is always working around you and that he's speaking so that you're ready when he says go. Number two, second insight, is that after you stay awake and you say, man, I'm going to to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, you need to set your focus on life's ultimate purpose. And I'm going to give you life's ultimate purpose today in one word. And for some of you, it happened in both services. I just believe it's going to happen again. For some of you in this room and online, when I tell you life's purpose in one word, you're going to go, amen, that's it. And others of you are going to go, what's that all about? And then I'm going to explain it. Okay. You ready? Here we go. Life's ultimate purpose in one word. You ready? You might want to write this down off the side. You ready? Here it is. Jesus. See, there it was. I heard a "Mm mm-hmm over here and I heard a huh over there. So here we go. It's about Jesus. Jesus. So let's go back to Acts chapter two and I'll show this to you. Without reading you all the the verses there, you can read those on your own time this week. Here's what happens after the people said, what does this mean? Group A is really wanting to know. Group B is going off saying, oh, they're just drinking already. What is all this about? God used this moment, because listen to me, God will use circumstances in your life to wake you up. How many believe that? He'll use circumstances in your life to get your attention. And when this is happening, here's what Peter does. He goes back to the Bible. He goes to the Old Testament prophet of Joel. And he says, you see what's happening here in the spirit? See how the Spirit's pouring out on these people? You see how they're speaking in languages they don't know? This is what the prophet Joe wrote about. And then he goes to Psalm and he says, and all this is happening because of one person, his name is Jesus. And David, a thousand years ago, wrote about him. And he talked about how Messiah would die, how he would suffer, how he would die, be buried and rise again. And even told the timeline of his resurrection, he said his body will not see decay before he rises from the grave. And every Jew understood this, because in the Jewish culture they believed the spirit hovered over the body for three days, and on the fourth day it departed. This is one of the reasons why they were so shocked when Lazarus came up out of the grave, because it, it, it went against their custom. One day I was sitting in a human anatomy and physiology class in college. It was when I thought I was going, you know, God was gonna have me be a bivocational pastor, and I was gonna do something in the medical field. And I'm sitting in a room with about 90 other uh, medical students and nurses. And we're in human anatomy class. And listen, your pastor right there, thinking he's getting ready to go to med school, had a babdicostal fit in the middle of anatomy class. And when I tell you the subject, you're going to say, well, I get it. I understand why now. We were studying rigor mortis. Yeah, very spiritual topic. And I remember how we're sitting in a class and the teacher up there in front started talking about how the body stays in kind of homeostasis in a way after death for 72 hours. But then after the 72nd hour, something begins to happen and the body and the cells begin to generate and to break. The body goes in rigor mortises and it begins to decay. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in class and ding, 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 ding. The Holy Spirit sound the alarm, got my attention, reminding me of Peter's sermon, how he preached out of the Psalms and said, the Holy One would never see corruption. And right in the middle of class, I go, woo! <laughs> I'm like, wow. And I'm writing a sermon in the middle of class. Why? Because a thousand years before the resurrection, God led a man named David to talk about the Messiah would not see corruption. And the body begins to break down on day number four. He had to rise on day number three and thus fulfill the scriptures. I mean, God's word is absolutely amazing and applicable to life if we just get into the book and find out. Isn't it amazing? So watch this. What's going on here? Peter is saying everything in the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament, and everything for the future all finds its tie in Jesus. Next week, I'm going to talk about the discipline of the word of God. And we're going to see this together. So I just don't miss next weekend. I want you to see this. That it's all about Jesus. If you want to find the purpose of your life, you're not going to find it simply in searching out a better career, making more money. You'll never make enough. You'll never be popular enough. You'll never have enough relationships. If that's where you find your value, relationships are going to come and go, and they're going to hurt you, and you're going to to be disappointed. There's got to be a source of life that brings peace to all the rest. And then God doesn't want you to have money. He doesn't care. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a career. He wants you to have a great one. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to have relationships. He wants you to have healthy ones. But he is the center focus of life. And you'll never find the peace that you're looking for and the purpose until it comes together in Jesus. I want to show you this real quickly this morning as Peter here, in Acts chapter two, verse 32, he sums it all up. He says, God raised this Jesus, we're witnesses of this. He's exalted him to the right hand of God, received by the Father, the promised Holy Spirit that you poured out. Everything you're seeing happen today is because he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 36, read it out loud. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus. Somebody shout, Jesus. Jesus. He is both, whom you crucified is both what? Lord and Messiah. Here's something I want you to chew on for a moment. A renowned atheist by the name of Bertrand Russell said this about God. He says, unless you assume, of God, assume a God, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Chew on that. Let me say it to you again. An atheist says, who doesn't believe in God, unless you assume there is a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. In other words, life has no meaning outside of God. And here's an atheist who's living his life feeling he's just an accident of evolution, that there's no purpose. Look up here at me, congregation. Let me tell you something. You were known before you were born. I don't even care how you came into this world. You were known before you were born and God knows you. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, I've got a plan for you. God knows you and God loves you. And there's a plan and a purpose for every one of you in this room and watching online today. I wanna to read to you out of the book of Colossians. Just jot this down. All you gotta do right now is sit back and listen. I was reading this this week in my study, and the Holy Spirit just laid it on my heart. I just want you to hear the words of Paul as they come off the pages of Scripture. He writes in Colossians 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. That includes you. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, listen to this, through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, the first one to resurrect and never die again. Amen? Why? So that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him. Listen to this. Here it is. To reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. How does Jesus reconcile us to God and make peace? Through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus created you. You were created by God and for God, and God created you, and through his son Jesus, his blood on the cross, God's desire is to reconcile you to himself. Those of you who are baptized today went down in the water signifying that your sins have been buried just as Jesus was buried. You came out of the water signifying just like Jesus was resurrected, you have a new life and a new purpose in Christ Jesus. God created you to know you. And listen, here's how I like to say it God wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. And if you know Him, you will love Him. And if you fall in love with Him, you'll serve Him. And if you serve Him, you'll glorify Him with your body and your life. You see, there's one thing I can't do for you as your pastor. I can't make any of you love God. No one can. That is an individual choice you get to make. You're group A or group B. You're the group that says, I want to hear what God's got to say or I really don't care. All I can do and what we strive to do in this church through our worship through the atmosphere of celebration that we try to create when I teach you the scriptures and have you study the scriptures. My goal is for you to take these scriptures and go back this week and reread them and go back to the Bible and see for yourself how to study the Bible because here's what I believe. If we create an atmosphere about him, to help you know him better about his love and his holiness and his purity and his grace. If I can help you know that God wants a relationship with you, if I can help you know God better, eventually you'll open your heart to him and you'll love him. And here's what I know. The more you get to know him, the more you will love him. And the more you love him, the more you will serve him. I don't have to get up here and preach on the five sins you need to avoid this week. I need to get you in a relationship with Christ because if you truly love him, you won't want to commit those five sins this week because you don't want to sin against the one you love and you want to honor and you'll serve him and then you will glorify him with your life. That's my desire is to create that kind of atmosphere here for you to know about him, get to know him so you'll love him, so you'll serve him and you'll glorify him with your life. Look on the screen with me in Ephesians chapter one at what God's desire is for you. Read this with me. The word predestined here simply means predetermined. God predetermined, this is his will for everyone, for us to be adopted into the sonship through Jesus Christ. And look at this, it's in accordance to his pleasure and will. Some of you ask, I wonder if God actually wants me in his family. According to the Bible, it is his pleasure and his will for you to be adopted into the family of God to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us. You don't earn this grace. You can't do anything to receive this grace. You have to accept this grace. It is freely given to you by Jesus Christ. I like this quote from Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says this. It's really the answer to Bertrand Russell's statement. He says these words, you were made by God, and for God and until you understand that life makes no sense look at your neighbor and tell him there's a purpose for you God wants you to know him he wants you to love him and serve him God has a plan he wants you to go be a light in this world how many know the world's reeling in darkness right now we're getting ready to go on another political season you know I'm so scared what it's going to do on people's mental health I'm scared of how they're going to watch us Christians react during the political season. I'm honest with that. Our world is reeling in darkness and sin and what they need more than anything is to see men and women have an authentic, real relationship with God, receive his grace and his forgiveness and to realize God's still on the throne, that it's not up to the Democrats or Republicans to fix our mess. It's up to us to live out our faith and make a difference in the world we live in that we have a responsibility too to be salt and light for Jesus in the world. Amen? I want to tell you something that absolutely shocked me this week. It was another one of them alerts, you know, alarms went off for me. It was a wake-up call. It's like God working. I didn't even realize what he was doing. Do you know in December of 2022, Harvard Graduate School of Education did a survey to find out why young adults are struggling so badly with mental health issues? They did a search, a survey from 18 to 25 year olds. This happened in December of 2022. Let me tell you what the results have come out to look like. They found that three in five young adults feel like their lives lack meaning and purpose. 36% of young adults report feeling anxious. They have struggle with anxiety. I prayed with one after the first service this morning in the lobby. They're struggling with anxiety. 29% of young adults feel depressed. The study identified several drivers to this mental health crisis. 56% said it was due to the pressure of finances. 51% were feeling the pressure to achieve. 45% said they felt the perception that the world was unraveling around them. I wonder where they got that opinion. It would do us all some good mental health-wise to turn off the news and shut down our cell phones for a while. Maybe that's what you ought to fast in the 21 days of prayer and fasting coming up. I don't know. Might do better than you giving up food, to be honest. But the one line in here The most alarming goes back to that first statistic said the most concerning influence of negative mental health, according to the report, is that three out of five teenagers say they have no feeling of purpose for their life. I find this interesting. I want to see if you do as well. In January of 2023, we launched a new ministry here at CPC without knowing that Harvard was doing a study and not seeing any of the results. All of a sudden, we felt a burden and a conviction for 18 to 30-year-olds. And a month after this survey started, we began the launch preparations for our own young adult ministry here at CPC. Ding, 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 ding. Do y'all believe in coincidences or do you believe God the Holy Spirit may be at work? Amen. Amen? And so now for a year, we've had our own young adult ministry and if you're between 18 and 30 and you haven't checked it out yet, you need to come on Sunday nights to our young adult ministry and find out there's a lot of people your age finding purpose and meaning in Jesus here at CPC. There is a purpose for you. And you can find it right here. Go back with me to Acts now. Acts chapter two, verse 37. I want you to see something here. When the crowd heard Peter preach and he went back to scripture and he said, life is about Jesus. And Jesus, what he did for you is to give you life. Do you remember Jesus's words? He wants to give you an abundant life now, but also eternal life in the hereafter, right? It's both now and forever. And you find your purpose in Christ. How did the people respond to this message that day? Look at verse 37. The scripture says this. And when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do to be saved? What do we need to do now? I asked you at the very beginning of the question, what might God be trying to say to you today? What is he trying to get your attention Are you alert to God working around you? What's he trying to say? Do you know you've got purpose in life? This is where the people came to. They came to a point where they're going to have to make a decision and you're going to have to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? And are you going to allow him to help you find uh, your peace and your place in his plan and the purpose of God on your life? Listen to me. For the crowd that day, They were Jews who had never heard about Jesus or had only heard the rumors of Jesus. And so what they needed, their next step was, is they needed to be saved. And so Peter in the very next verse says, so you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus in order that you may be saved and you can have the same Holy Spirit. He wasn't preaching a different baptism than what Jesus had just gave them when he said baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The two are the same. He's telling a bunch of people who didn't know who Jesus was, but here's what you need to do. You need to receive Jesus. You need to say yes to Jesus and let him become the Lord and the Savior of your life. And then the Jews had already been practicing baptism. Anytime you went from one religion to another, your conversion was to display it that you are now boldly going into their faith by baptism. Jews baptized. When a pagan came into Judaism, that's nothing new. That doesn't tie you to your salvation. It is an example that you have chosen to receive Christ and be saved. And so he's telling this crowd, you need to go public. You need to not be ashamed. You need to tell people life is about Jesus and you're receiving him and you're not gonna be ashamed to say, I have chosen to live my life for Christ through your baptism. And 3,000 People that day said yes to Jesus and were baptized. Can we give God praise for the first original Baptism Sunday? 3,000 on that day. Amen. I don't know what your next step is, but for some of you in this room and online, I know this. Your next step is saying yes to Jesus and being baptized. We've had people make that decision all morning. And I wanna encourage you today, if you're looking for purpose and the meaning of life, it's in a person. It's not in a career, it's not in a job, it's not in a title, it's not in a certain dollar amount in the checking account. It's in a person, it's in Jesus. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And when your life is centered around him, all the other pieces just come together. And I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus, receive Him as your Savior. And if you've not been baptized yet, you can be baptized today. You can go public. we got everything you need. And in a moment, here's what's going to happen. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite those of you who want to say yes to Jesus and those of you who want to go public in your baptism to walk over to this great curtain. And prayer team members are going to be there to help you walk through this decision to be... Uh, saved And if you're ready for baptism, they'll go ahead and get you ready. And we'll baptize you before you go eat lunch today. How about that? Amen? And I believe some people will stick around to watch it. Amen. Football don't start till two. We got a long time. We ready. Y'all with me? But now some of you are already believers and you got a different big step to take. Some of you may need to come to an altar and pray with one of our prayer team members or out in the lobby or online. You need to talk to our campus pastors because you got a different different decision you need to make. Here's a big takeaway, write this down. And I want you to ask yourself this question while you do, make it a prayer. What is your next step to get ready for what God wants for you? What's it gonna take for you to get on the starting line, get ready, get set so you can go? For some of you who've been attending this church for a while, your next step is sign up for Starting Point. Come and learn about our church and how you can become a partner. And it's time for you to stop being a consumer and start becoming a contributor. Get involved and find your value as a part of this spiritual family and help us take the light of Jesus to a dark world and share some more light and a lot more salt on people's lives and help lead more people to Jesus. Some of you, It's time for you to get in a small group. Today, your next step is a small group. You need to get in one of our groups where you can take the Bible serious with a group of people who hold you accountable. And you have prayer partners and care partners, and you can learn to live out your faith in a small group. Don't get lost in the crowd. Get to know some people and let them get to know you. For some of you, it's signing up for a serve ministry today or outreach ministry getting involved and do something for someone other than yourself. There are some next steps for you to take. And my question is, what is the one the Spirit is saying to you today? What's your next step look like?